Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. As expected, after a draft opinion was leaked a few weeks ago, the U.S. Supreme Court on Friday issued a ruling overturning Roe v. Wade, leaving it up to the states to determine abortion laws. Nearly all of the next hour is devoted to the topic, starting with a brief address from Governor Mike DeWine released Friday evening and comments from Nan Whaley, a Democrat and former mayor of Dayton who's running against DeWine in November. Then I'll replay interviews from a few weeks ago with Mike Ganadakis, president of Ohio Right to Life, and Kelly Copeland, executive director of Pro-Choice Ohio. And in the final few moments of the program, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, Tracy Townsend looks at the controversy over recent power outages in the city of Columbus. First up on Columbus Perspective, Governor Mike DeWine directed Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost to ask that the stay be lifted that was preventing Ohio's heartbeat law from going into effect. And the Columbus Dispatch reports that the stay has been lifted. It means abortions are banned in Ohio when a heartbeat can be detected, which can be as early as six weeks. That's often before a woman even knows she's pregnant. This effectively bans most abortions in Ohio, but more litigation could come, and Republicans may pass even tougher restrictions. On Friday evening, Governor Mike DeWine issued a brief statement following the Supreme Court's ruling. This runs about six minutes. Good evening. As you know, earlier today, the United States Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. Now the matter of abortion law and policy has been returned to the people of each state. My purpose tonight is not to debate the merits of this decision. There'll be plenty of time to do this in the days and weeks ahead. But I have two reasons for talking with you tonight. First, I think it's important that as we discuss the abortion issue, we in Ohio do it in a civil way, and recognize that there are people of goodwill on both sides who have strongly and honestly held beliefs. Second, I want to talk about the work that needs to be done to better support children and families and the common ground that we as Ohioans share. My fellow Ohioans, I fully understand that the Supreme Court's decision today is deeply troubling to many of you. Those of you who are pro-choice believe this is a matter of freedom, And this is a decision only the woman can make. Those who are pro-life, including my wife, Fran, and me, believe that the life of a human being is at stake. And we have an obligation to protect that innocent life. Now, we all have friends and others close to us whom we respect and who are on different sides of this issue. But whether you're pro-life or pro-choice, Republican or Democrat, we all need to be kind and civil and respect one another as we debate this issue. As the issue of abortion returns to the states, how we debate it is so very important. It's going to be very easy to let this debate get rough and tough, and there's certainly nothing wrong with spirited debate. However, we must do it in a way that recognizes that smart, sincere, dedicated, and caring people can have very, very different and equally heartfelt views. The First Amendment right of freedom of speech and those who choose to exercise that right must be respected, must be protected. And at the same time, even though Ohioans may disagree with each other on the issue of abortion, I do believe there's common ground and essential goals that Ohioans share when it comes to children and families. I believe that all all Ohioans want this state to be the most pro-family, pro-child state in the country. 
And we are making great progress in creating an environment here in Ohio where families and children can thrive and live up to their full potential. Though we've made progress, we agree that we must do even more to lower our infant and maternal mortality, especially among African-American mothers and babies. We all agree that no mother or child should go hungry or not have adequate housing. We all agree that no child in this state should suffer the devastating effects of toxic lead paint. And we agree that all Ohio children must have access to good mental health services. Here in Ohio, we're doing more than ever to make sure that our youngest, most vulnerable children get the best possible start in life. We've doubled our investment in Ohio's voluntary home visiting programs. We're trained professionals meet regularly with new and expectant moms and dads to teach valuable parenting skills. And through our bold beginning initiative, Ohio is already investing more than a billion dollars to provide prenatal care, parenting classes, mentoring, education, and nutrition assistance to pregnant mothers and their families. But there's so much more to be done, so much work that remains. And so today I ask you, my fellow Ohioans, to work together with me to focus on these issues and commit ourselves to the health and success of Ohio families. As part of that commitment, I've directed our state health and human service agencies to bring me innovative new ideas for ensuring that vulnerable mothers are immediately identified and always taken care of and receive the best help that they need. In the weeks ahead, I'll be working with the General Assembly and our local communities to improve the quality of pre and postnatal care, to increase the frequency of maternal depression screenings, and to expand mental health resources for women who experience miscarriages. We'll be working on efforts to increase awareness about adoption, to ensure that every child finds a permanent, loving home and family. And we will seek to expand healthcare coverage to more mothers and children so that no child in Ohio goes without regular primary care doctor visits, preventive care, and childhood vaccinations. My fellow Ohioans, I ask you tonight to pull together. Let's have our debate about abortion. Let's do it civilly. Let's respect each other. And let us concede that the other side is sincere in their beliefs. But no matter which side we're on in that debate, let us remember that we are, in the words of former congressman and civil rights leader John Lewis, and I quote, one people with one family, we all live in the same house. And like any family, while we may disagree vehemently on some things, we can still find common ground in other things. And so let us now find that common ground, roll up our sleeves, dig deep, join together in solving the problems that we all agree must be solved. Thank you very much. Have a good evening. Governor Mike DeWine on Friday evening. Earlier that day, Democrat Nan Whaley, the former mayor of Dayton who's running against DeWine, held a news conference. Here are some of her comments. Uh, I'm not going to mince words. Today is an awful day. It's an awful day for women, and it's an awful day for our country. As someone whose mother fought for these rights and who has had the basic autonomy over my body for my entire life, I am absolutely heartbroken. And frankly, I'm angry beyond any words I can give you today. But also, I've never been more committed to this fight. Let me be crystal clear. If Mike DeWine is reelected, 
abortion is going to be banned in Ohio and women and their doctors will be sent to jail. Mike DeWine was first elected to office 46 years ago when I was 10 months old, and he has spent his entire career fighting to outlaw abortion. He has already said he wants to go as far as possible to ban abortion in our state. As far as possible. These are his words, not mine. Ohio is about to be grand zero for the fight to protect abortion rights. There are already bills moving from the extremists in the legislature that will ban abortion with no exceptions whatsoever. The Republican sponsor of the bill even argued that a 13-year-old girl who became pregnant from a rape had an opportunity. Again, her words, not mine. In 2018, Mike DeWine made supporting sexual assault victims a centerpiece of his campaign for governor. Will he now turn his back on them when they need him? Does he agree that they have an opportunity and should be forced to carry the rapist child? Folks, this race has never been more important. Abortion is on the ballot this November 8th. And this isn't hypothetical. If Mike DeWine is reelected this fall, abortion will be outlawed in Ohio with no exceptions for rape, incest, or the health of the the mom. I am unwilling to let that happen, and I know I'm not alone. Poll after poll has shown that this is a pro-choice country and Ohio is a pro-choice state. Today's extreme court decision does not reflect the will of the vast majority of Ohioans. I'm running for governor because Ohio deserves better. We deserve better than the corrupt pay-to-pay politics and giving into extremists that we've seen from Mike DeWine. We deserve better than criminalizing abortion. We deserve better than telling sexual assault victims that their pregnancy is an opportunity. We deserve better than Mike DeWine forcing himself into the room with you and your doctor. I support the protections afforded to women in Roe v. Wade, and I'm proud to have spent my whole career fighting for reproductive rights. And I want Ohioans who are feeling sad and scared and angry today to know that this fight is not over. We need them now more than ever on this team. It's time to take that fear and that anger and turn it into action. And our freedom is under attack and we cannot back down. In November, we can say loudly and clearly that we will not give in, and we will not accept these attacks on women's rights. We will not accept sending doctors and women to jail. We will not accept letting women die, and we are going to stop this bullshit. During Nan Whaley's news conference, I asked her about women who choose reluctantly to have an abortion and what her thoughts were about that. Dave, yeah, so this is, you know, everyone knows this is a difficult decision. We've never said these decisions... Um, any any sort of health decision that women make are difficult. We've never said that's not the case, but they've sure as hell made it harder when they have put Mike DeWine and Dave Yost in your family room, in your bedroom, and in your doctor's office on these decisions. These decisions should be made between a woman, her family, and her doctor. And there is no need for these men that we don't know to be in the decision line of that. Further, like this also is going to make Ohio incredibly less competitive. You know, I have a I have a 13 year old niece who now just lost a ton of rights. Do you, do you think she's going to want to grow up here and live here in Ohio when she's not even going to be able to make decisions between herself and her doctor about her body? I mean, please, this is a way when we are going to see from this decision, the states that protect women's rights and access to health care and those that don't. And I guarantee you, 
the ones that are protecting women and allowing women to make their own decisions are again, going to be the states that grow. And the ones that don't are where we're going to lose talent and we're going to lose opportunity. And that's what this fight is about for the governor's race is I believe women, I believe women should be able to make their own choices. And I want them to stay in Ohio. We need them with this kind of decision. How could you tell any young woman that they should stay in this state? It's unacceptable. That's again, Democrat Nan Whaley, who's running for governor. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back in early May, when the draft opinion was leaked that indicated the Supreme Court was about to overturn Roe versus Wade, I spoke with the leaders of Ohio Right to Life and Pro-Choice Ohio. Here are those interviews again. Some minor editing was done to prevent confusion over the status of the court's decision. On the phone with me, Mike Ganadakis, president of Ohio Right to Life. Thanks for talking with us. Tell us what Ohio Right to Life is. Uh, we're the state's largest and longest-serving pro-life organization. We were found uh, shortly after January 1973 when the original Roe v. Wade decision was uh, given down, uh, legalizing abortion. And uh, actually, the pro-life movement in the United States was founded in Cincinnati, Ohio. And the gentleman at the time, the late Dr. Jack Wilkie, founded Ohio Right to Life, then National Right to Life, and then opened up uh, chapters in all 50 states. So uh, the pro-life movement started right here in the Great Buckeye State. So obviously this is something that your organization has been shooting for for decades. Uh, What was your feeling when you heard this news? You know, it's a great question. You know, I've been with Ohio Right to Life for the past 14 years. And, um, you know, I, I've been resigned to the fact that, you know, at some point I'm going to pass the torch on to some younger person to come in and continue to lead this organization. And I was just all I've often wondered lately if in my lifetime I would see an end to Roe v. Wade. And now I can't stress enough to all your listeners that overturning Roe v. Wade does not make abortion illegal. That's just simply a false statement. Overturning Roe v. Wade just allows each and every state in the great country we live in, the United States of America, to make their own decision. Currently, right now, in the states like California and New York, the laws on the books in those two states allows for abortion up to and through the ninth month of pregnancy. And that's true. You can Google it and see it yourself. Um, A woman could be eight and a half months pregnant and decide she wants to have an abortion in California, New York, and sadly, a few other states too. And it's perfectly legal. If Roe v. Wade's overturned, those laws still stay on the books because that's the law that California decided. That's the law that New York decided. The men and women of those states elected their legislature and their governor to, to, and to enact those type of statutes. And if they don't want that anymore, they can uh, vote for other people to come in and change that. But in the great Buckeye state that we live in, we're going to do things a lot different. But overturning road just allows each state to set its own destiny. That's it. Some states will allow it. Some states won't. Some states will meet in the middle. But each state, you know, depending on where you live, will have a different standard. And that's okay. We should be able to live in a state where we choose when we're going to protect the most vulnerable. So word has come this week that Governor Mike DeWine has asked Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost to go to court and lift the stay on the heartbeat bills. That's correct. You know, right now, our heartbeat law that he signed in 2018 is is being held up in federal court by a judge who's not pro-life, and they're just slow rolling it. So um, that case will immediately be dismissed if Rose overturned because there will be no more uh, grounds for the judge to hold the case. So at a minimum, we will have um, an abortion-free Ohio at the moment a baby's beating heart can be detected, which is usually around six to seven weeks in development. From there, the governor also said he will sign the Ohio Right to Life trigger bill that we have right now, which we believe is going to get done here really quick. And what that says is if and when Roe's overturned, Ohio will be abortion free. And he said he will sign that, too. So um, this is everything we've worked for. Men and women that have come way before me have worked harder, blood, sweat and tears. And this is the moment that we've been waiting for in Ohio. Now, keep in mind, if this all goes to fruition, as I've just described it on the phone to you and your listeners, 
for those that disagree with us, they can obviously go to the ballot box and vote for somebody else for state representative, for state senator. And if a majority of the people in their district agree with them, we'll have a different legislature. We could have a different governor in four years or this year we have a gubernatorial election and, and go from there. So, again, the power to the people, the people to decide to make these decisions, not nine men and women at the United States Supreme Court in Washington, D.C., but us, me and you, all your listeners. We get to weigh in in the court of public opinion through the ballot box, which is democracy. This is the way it should work. Talking with Mike Gonadakis, president of Ohio Right to Life. Let me throw a couple of numbers out at you and, and get your feedback on this. Ohio's population expanded by 260,000 from 2010 to 2020. That's an average of 26,000 per year. Ohio currently has about 20,000 abortions per year. So over the next 10 years, in addition to what might be an expected growth rate, will it increase by 200,000 more than normal because... Abortion will no longer be legal? It could. You know, look, I mean, certainly if, a, if a, uh, an Ohio woman wants to have an abortion, if we live in an abortion-free state, they can. Pennsylvania has already said their governor that they're going to keep abortion uh, legal in Pennsylvania. Illinois said they're going to be keep abortion legal, too. So it's, it's not going to be um, uh, not an option across the country. You know, Pennsylvania is, is a two-hour drive from here. Um, but the fact that to answer your question specifically is that, you know, we keep reading articles in our local media, newspapers, radio, and on TV. TV that the uh, the brain drain in Ohio, people fleeing the state, not wanting to stay, and it hurts us. We lost another congressional seat. We're down to 15 congressional seats. We used to have 20-something congressional seats and had so much more clout in D.C. and how we were spending our money or, or, or our institution here in Ohio to put Ohio at the front of the line. If we're shrinking, the best way to stop shrinking is to stop uh, what's one of the big reasons why we're shrinking, because we're aborting uh, on an average of 20,000 babies a year in Ohio. Back in the 80s, we were at 50,000 abortions a year. Now, the good news is, is we continue to decline in the number of abortions each year. We're not at zero, though. So um, with with less abortions brings more lives, you know, more opportunity for women to raise their children. And if they can't raise their children or don't want to raise their children, they can place them for adoption. Both of my children are adopted. And adoption is a beautiful thing. And, and we're not unique in the neighborhood for which we live here in Central Ohio. Countless uh, families in our neighborhood have adopted children, children of color, children from overseas, and so on and so forth. So, But I would imagine that a a pro-choice person might look at that number, the, the 20,000 abortions per year, over 10 years, 200,000. One way to look at that would be that that's the city of Akron, which has 198,000 people. So if you add, in, a, in essence, a new city the size of Akron in Ohio of children 10 and under, the change and the adjustment in infrastructure and things like additional pediatricians, daycares, schools, teachers, Grocery stores in low-income areas, uh, expanding the SNAP program. I mean, doesn't all that have to happen? Um, well, not necessarily, because each woman finds himself in a different position. Certainly not every woman who has an abortion is uh, is low-income inner city. I mean, there are women in New Albany that are having abortions, in rich white suburbs that are having abortions, and, or th- those that have jobs, middle class. So it's not just – you can't just say that, well, we're going to need to have a SNAP program for every woman. You know, it's a good thing to grow our population. We have – look at the city of Cleveland that continues to uh, decline and shrink. You have infrastructure in the city of Cleveland that is built for a million people, but about 300,000 people still live in the city of Cleveland. They can take all those hundreds of thousands of people you just mentioned over the next decade because they have the infrastructure for it. When they build it, when they built their roads and trains and railways up there, they built it for a million people. But the city continues to shrink, and they're down to 300,000. Now, same thing with all of except Columbus. Columbus booming. It's growing. Um, Columbus proper. Um, 
But all the other big cities are shrinking because people are leaving the Cincinnati's, the Cleveland's, the Dayton's, the Toledo's, the Akron's and Youngstown's. So we can now reintroduce additional population. That's good. And uh, we're the seventh largest state in the country, and um, we know how to take care of ourselves. We have over 47,000 licensed physicians in the state of Ohio. We've got a great health care system in Ohio. We offer Medicaid expansion that Governor Kasich signed when he was governor. I personally supported it. Ohio Right to Life did. We took a lot of heat for it, but it was the right thing to do. So I'm confident that we'll be able to um, uh, absorb an increase in our population, and that's a good thing. But I, I would imagine it would have to require an increase in government spending. If you're talking about 200,000 more people in Ohio than what normally might have happened over the next 10 years. I, you know, I, you know I, I, I say this all respectfully, of course. Um, you know, I, I would disagree with that because, you know, you, if, if let's put it this way, if um, if President Biden uh, bust in 200,000 immigrants from the southern border from Mexico and just dropped them in the middle of Columbus. Yes, we are going to need an influx of housing, um, social services, you know, this, that and the other. But that that wouldn't be the case over a decade. You know, um, you know, look at our average birth rate, birth rate, how many babies are being born a year. So it's not like we're just dumping in, you know, all of a sudden at once. And um, we have been shrinking so much. We've got the capacity to grow. I mean, we are shrinking as a population. We need to stop that. We need to regrow our population. One other issue here, if, if abortion becomes illegal in Ohio, should fathers be held more responsible, more aggressive efforts to find out who they are? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, I, I believe whether it be today when abortion is legal or tomorrow if abortion is illegal, that fathers should be involved with mother's lives. The Ohio State University have done multiple studies that have shown a two-parent household, um, the likelihood and statistics of that child be getting a good education and um, being able to go to college uh, increase tremendously. So we support two-family households. Uh, two parent households, excuse me, <laughs> not two families, <laughs> two parent households, um, uh, because the statistics from the Ohio State University demonstrate that the child has a huge likelihood of success and having a good education. So dad should always be in the picture. Mama should always be in the picture. And let's let's get back to focusing on how we can keep the core family unit together. So would you like to see perhaps, you know, tougher laws, uh, you know, more judges going after, you know, child support payments? And I don't know, maybe the threat of more action if fathers are not identified and made responsible, because otherwise this is all going to fall even more on women. Yeah, you know, um, we do have laws on the books for deadbeat dads or deadbeat moms. If they're required by a court order to pay child support and they don't do that, they are arrested. We have that law on the books. Hopefully it's being enforced every day. I'm not a domestic relations attorney and I'm not a domestic relations judge, so I can't tell you statistics or if it's working or not. But I do know we have laws on the books if um, if a mom or dad skirts their responsibilities to provide child support, period. And I know people can be arrested if they don't provide for child support and have their wages garnished. So if those laws need to be stronger, if there's a better way to ensure that these children are getting the resources they need, well, then, yeah, of course, let's do it. Um, You know, if we need to change culture and mindsets, let's do that, too. So uh, to answer your question, yes, absolutely. I know we have laws on the books, so it's not the Wild West right now. Are they being enforced? Are they being enforced properly? That's a great question that we should have someone dig into. Just a couple of minutes to go here with Mike Ganadakis, President, Ohio Right to Life. I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, it seems anymore, more than ever, and maybe people will paint my statement here is being unfair. I don't know, because I don't know that Republicans tend to be pro-life and Democrats tend to be pro-choice. What is that? Is that that an ethical difference? Is it a moral difference, a rights difference? Is it a scientific thinking difference? What Mm -hmm. philosophical difference? What is it? We could spend an hour talking about that amazing question you just asked, and hopefully someday you invite me back to do that. Um, You know, here's what I know. Um, 
Democrat politicians are pro-choice. Republican politicians are pro-life. It's, it's, it's been polarized from a political perspective. But I've been to all 88 counties, not once, not twice, but multiple times over the past 14 years. And what I can tell you is the pro-life issue is nonpartisan. We're a nonpartisan organization. Um, we support Democrats, Republicans, independents. We support liberals, conservatives. Green Party people, we just ask them to be pro-life. I will tell you this. When I go to the city of Parma, one of the largest suburbs in Cuyahoga County, northeast Ohio, you have to be two things or a couple things. One, you have to be a Democrat. Two, you have to be pro-union. That's great. And three, you have to be pro-life. You know, the Polish community up there, the Eastern Orthodox community up there is devoutly pro-life. Uh, former state reps from that area, like Tim DeGeter, the current mayor of Parma, is devoutly pro-life. Where's it on his sleeve? I talked to him. Um, he's a, he's a, he was a good friend when he was in the state house down here. So there are a lot of great um, pro-life Democrats, pro-life Republicans. They're just the big party bosses won't let you run if you're a pro-life Democrat for uh, elected office, at, the, at least at the state house level. I don't know about city councils and, and that kind of stuff. Too many cities. Polls seem to indicate the majority of Americans are in favor of Roe v. Wade. Respectfully, uh, my friend, and, and again, I say this with all due respect, if you read the questions that are asked is, do you believe the, the questions are always asked in the same or similar fashion? Do you think abortion um, on demand should be allowed up to and through the ninth month? And that gets very low, 10, 12 percent. No, they, people don't believe that. People don't believe in late term abortions. Even pro-choicers don't. Now, keep in mind, Roe v. Wade said a woman has a right to an abortion up to and through her ninth month. Our adversaries on the other side, Planned Parenthood, NARAL, support abortion up to and through the ninth month. Americans don't support that. That's a 90-10 issue. Okay. A 90-10 issue. But does that so, – so what about pro-choice then? Are, are most Americans uh, of the belief that at least at some level there should be a pro-choice factor? Um, yes. I, I would say that there is a belief that probably has a, a plurality because, again, you have to ask the question, you know, should it be six weeks, should it be seven weeks? When you ask, you know, different uh, stages of development, you're going to get different responses from um, from registered voters or whoever, you know, who's answering the questions in a poll. Um, but, you know, the. But I can tell you that we're at the point now, we're at the tipping point now where with the advent of science, 4D ultrasounds, adoption being so prevalent, you're seeing them, especially the millennials here. Millennials support two things that I've seen over the past, you know, maybe millennials, not the right word, but younger people, if I'm, if I use that, they support uh, same sex marriage and they support uh, life more and more and more. Those two are trending in the right, well, they're trending together upwards from a younger person perspective. So again, 11.9 million people live in Ohio and 20,000 too many, but 20,000 abortions in our state. It's not like it's a million or 5 million or 100,000. Thank God. You know, thank God it's not those numbers. And 20,000 is too much. But let's keep in mind, you know, we look at the big picture here in, in Ohio. And as you mentioned, the number has dropped dramatically over the last few yes, years. Yes, sir. Yeah, and it's been a combination of factors. You know, I'm not going to I'm not going to sit here and say it's all because of Ohio right to life or because we elected one politician or passed one law. All that matters and all that helped, and it's helped us expedite um, our mission statement here. But changing the culture, you know, changing hearts and minds, that has gone a long way too. And, and you know, it used to be so taboo uh, for um, uh, if a girl finds herself in an unintended pregnancy, uh, you know, whether she's in high school or college, um, and it's just not taboo anymore. Um, and, you know, it, it, you accept her for who she is, and, and you love her and you help her. And last question, since I, I think I feel like I need to bring this up. In the instance sure. of rape or incest and abortion, Ohio right to life is of the belief that that, that pregnancy should still endure, correct? 
Here's what I'll tell you. We believe every single human being, whether you're a male, female, black or white, gay or straight, rich or poor, has an inherent right to life and to live their God-given life and ability to lead a healthy life, regardless of how you come in this world, um, regardless. And that's why we believe and support everyone's opportunity to live, whether they agree with me politically or not. Whether, again, as if you're, if you're gay or straight, it doesn't matter. Everyone should be able to live their lives peacefully and happily in the United States of America, regardless of the circumstances for how you came in. State legislator uh, Gene Schmidt from Southwest Ohio was criticized for referring to that as an opportunity for victims of rape. Uh, what was your take on that? Yeah, that, I mean, look, um, Gene, you have to listen to her whole statement. You, the, the, you know, this gotcha soundbite stuff, it's not, it wasn't fair to her because if you listen to her entire statement, it wasn't. She didn't say, hey, it's an opportunity. She said a lot to it, and she can speak to that on her own. But at the end of the day, what she meant was an opportunity to live is far greater than an opportunity to die or be killed. And we need to embrace that um, and, and and hold that dearly to our, because we're living in a crazier and crazier country. Every single day we turn on the TV and see things that require us to turn off the TV. Um, let's find the good in our society, um, even when there's a lot of bad. Mike Ganadakis, president, Ohio Right to Life. Anything else you'd like to add? No, you did great. This is awesome. I'm just it's such an honor to be on the show and a blessing to be able to speak with you about these issues. Thanks for talking to us. If folks want more info about your uh, organization, Mike, where do they find it? I'd ask them to go to ohiolife.org. That's ohiolife.org. Okay. Thanks so much for your time today. Sure appreciate it. Thank you, sir. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. That interview with Mike Ganadakis from a few weeks ago when the draft opinion was leaked from the Ohio Supreme Court indicating that Roe versus Wade would be overturned. That same day, I talked with Kelly Copeland, Executive Director of Pro-Choice Ohio. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Good. Thanks for talking to us. What is Pro-Choice Ohio? Um, We're an abortion and reproductive rights advocacy organization um, for the state of Ohio. Okay. And we've uh, been talking about the Supreme Court Roe v. Wade. What is your take on that? You know, it's not surprising Ever since um, Donald Trump was elected president and had the opportunity to stack the Supreme Court with conservative justices, um, we've been um, concerned that they would take this move and uh, overturn Roe versus Wade. That said, it doesn't diminish the heartbreak that we feel, um, the pain and the fear that we're hearing from people because they know how much this will will change our state, will change our country, um, and particularly because we know how devastating this impact will be by people who are already facing the greatest barriers to care, um, to health care in particular, um, whether that's people who are struggling to end, make ends meet, people who are young, um, trans and non-binary people, or people of color. Polls seem to indicate that most people are in favor of Roe v. Wade or are pro-choice at some level. And yet it seems like in recent years there's been a real swing away from that. What is your take on why that's happening? Oh, that's 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 really simple. One word, gerrymandering. Um, in the state of Ohio, uh, 10 years ago, um, anti-choice Republicans basically cheated and they drew legislative boundaries that unfairly broke up communities in a way that um, basically ensures that their races are not competitive, that they have um, an unfair, and I would argue an unconstitutional advantage in elections. 
And so what we've had over the last 10 years is, despite having an overwhelming majority of Ohioans thinking that abortion should remain legal, we have this manufactured anti-abortion majority in the legislature that's passed 31 separate restrictions on access to abortion and family planning. Talking with Kelly Copeland, Executive Director, Pro-Choice Ohio. Well, the two parties, with exceptions, it seems Republicans are are aligned or associated with pro-life and Democrats with pro-choice. Is that an ethical, a moral, a rights, a philosophical difference? Why does it seem to be so clear-cut between the two parties? I think it's because the Republican Party has eradicated um, people who don't hold this extremist view. I I personally know um, many Republicans who agree that people should have bodily autonomy, that the government should not be involved in these sorts of decisions uh, by people. Um, But unfortunately, in part because of this gerrymandering, you've seen the Republican Party send people who are more and more conservative because the elections that are competitive are the primaries. And that gives you more extreme candidates. Um, They don't give you candidates that are are more aligned with their community. Um, We used to have many Republican allies in the uh, state government in the state of Ohio Unfortunately, um, anti-choice groups and gerrymandering have really pushed them out of elected office. So, you know, although, you know, there are um, more Republicans who oppose abortion access than those who support it, you know, I wouldn't say that um, people who respect and believe in reproductive freedom only belong to one party. Well, let me uh, ask you or or set up a scenario here. And and we talked to Mike Ganadakis from Ohio Right to Life a short time ago, and I presented these numbers to him as well. I'm curious on your take. Ohio's population expanded by 260,000 from the year 2010 to 2020, a 10-year average of 26,000 per year. Ohio has 20,000 abortions per year. So if Over the next 10 years, those 20,000 abortions are prevented. You're talking about 200,000 more children, which is equivalent to the size of Akron today. It would seem that we would need more pediatricians, more daycares, more schools, more teachers, more grocery stores in low-income areas, more playgrounds, more Medicaid, more SNAP benefits. What is your take on that? I think that the state of Ohio has been woefully Uh, negligent in providing resources for people to um, to be able to take care of the children in our communities. Um, We know acutely that um, access to quality, affordable child care is um, a crisis in the state of Ohio, um, one that um, prevents many women from being able to provide for their families, to be able to fully participate in the workplace the way they would choose to. Ohio does not even have a guaranteed minimum maternity leave, not even unpaid. The state of Ohio hasn't deigned to even do that, never mind Uh, paternity leave, never mind family leave, never mind paid leave. Um, The state of Ohio has, you know, enacted one policy after another 
to take away comprehensive sex education, to take away access to family planning, um, to they've ignored largely the maternal and infant mortality crisis that is particularly heartbreaking in the black community because uh, black mothers and children die at much higher rates than in white families. The state of Ohio has sat on its hands largely and refused to deal with any of those issues. And yet they seem hell bent on forcing people to continue pregnancies against their will. So do I think that the state of Ohio should do more? Absolutely. Do I think that that is a substitution for, or some sort of uh, a way that they should uh, respond because they're trying to eliminate abortion access? No, they're not, they're not interchangeable. People should, you know, we're pro-choice. We think that people should be able to have the resources that they need to parent or not to parent as, as they see fit and to be able to do so in safe and sustainable communities. Full stop. If abortion is banned, should there be a movement toward making fathers more accountable, being more aggressive at tracking down who they are and making them responsible for their child as well as the mother? Look, I think that parents have an obligation to care for their children. And, you know, we're, we're in the state of Ohio in particular, we've done a terrible job at making sure that, you know, people are paying their child support, that, you know, that children are, are properly cared for, that, that that families have the safety net that they need so that everyone in the family is, is able to live uh, safely and securely in their community. You know, that, that needs to happen regardless um, of whether or not abortion access is available. I will say with this Supreme Court ruling, it is it, it would not say that abortion would be outlawed across the country. That question would be remanded back to states. There are some states like New York and California um, where abortion uh, would, I think, absolutely remain legal. There are other states where I think that um, they would move to to outlaw abortion. I think um, Texas, um, you know, they've already um, moved to only allowing abortions through six weeks, which is um, at a point in pregnancy before many people realize that they are pregnant. Ohio, I think it remains to be seen what will happen here. And I don't think it should matter what state you live in, whether or not you have access to a fundamental human right like bodily autonomy. Talking with Kelly Copeland, executive director of Pro-Choice Ohio. Well, the governor uh, has indicated that he wants uh, the Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost to go to court to try to remove the stay on the heartbeat bill if uh, Roe v. Wade is overturned. And also uh, the trigger legislation, there would be an effort, I think, to, to try to get that passed so that Ohio would quickly ban abortions. Is that your feeling on what might happen? It's clear that Mike DeWine and David Yost um, care not what the people of the state of Ohio want. They only care about what they want. And so to see them uh, abuse their offices in that way wouldn't surprise me a bit. Is that what they should do? Absolutely not. Um, And I I would urge them to read the state constitution, which many uh, legal experts believe has even stronger protections for bodily autonomy and for 
private decision-making and for access to abortion than even the U.S. Constitution does. So, you know, they, they may take that, that matter to federal court, but uh, that will not be the end of, of the, um, the legal battle. If Ohio did ban abortions and if they were still legal in New York and if New York was the closest state where they were, could you see at some point almost like uh, companies setting up to help women who want an abortion to go to New York? I mean, that's happening in Ohio now Mm -hmm. because of some of the bans that are in place now where people cannot access care later in pregnancy um, because of heartless um, restrictions that have already been enacted. Sometimes people have to go to New- to Chicago, New York, Maryland um, to to access care. And there are incredibly compassionate and um, loving people who work at the abortion funds in Ohio. Women Have Options of Ohio, the Aggie Fund. Um, there's also a not-for-profit clinic preterm um, in the Cleveland area. They help provide resources and logistics for people who need to leave the state to access the abortion care that they need. Uh, there are, are plans in place, and there, there will be uh, not-for-profit organizations that will do everything that they can to make sure that people are still able to get the care that they need. And I also think people are, are accessing medication abortion, and they are safely managing their abortions at home um, on their own. And I think that will happen as well. People, regardless of what the legal status is of abortion within our history in this country or across the globe, People who need abortions will always find a way to have them, regardless of what the legal status is. And there are people who care about them and love them who will always stand by their side to ensure that they get the care that they need as safely and uh, without stigma as is possible. I'm curious uh, your take on the gender issue on this. It would seem that most women are pro-choice. It's their body. And, you know, we hear a lot about how they want control over the decisions to be made between them and their doctor. There's no provision in some of these uh, uh, legislation pieces about rape or incest, not allowing abortion in those instances. And yet some of it's joking talk and maybe not that if men could get pregnant, there would be abortion clinics on every street corner. Right. Well, you know, I think that it's revealing that the the abortion bans that you talked about that are pending the trigger ban, but also all of the restrictions that have already passed in the state of Ohio, none of them have had exceptions. Um, for rape or incest survivors. I think that's really telling. And, um, you know, just uh, Jean Schmidt, who is a state representative, um, you know, she was testifying about, you know, her bill, which is a total ban on abortion. And she was asked, uh, you know, what about people who get pregnant as a result of rape? And she had the callous response of, well, I guess that's an opportunity. It, It almost leaves you speechless that that is... The answer that anti-abortion advocates have, it's an opportunity. Is there no recognition that a person who has had someone else force themselves onto another's body would not be able 
to then make a decision about what happens next. Some people who experience rape or incest, sometimes they do continue pregnancy. Sometimes that's the right choice for them. The state has no business forcing them to do that. And to be so callous as to say, well, that's an opportunity. I just, it's as a person of faith, as, as a person who cares about my neighbors, it's shocking to me that that could be the response from anyone. The whole issue is uh, so fascinating, and I chose uh, during these sets of interviews not to go into the argument about whether abortion is right or wrong. You know, I've watched arguments about abortion where religion is the basis of Christianity, is the basis of making decisions, and both sides can have strong points to it. It's it's a fascinating topic that could never end when talking about it. Well, and I think that's one of the reasons why it's not the place for government to decide. It's one of the things that I think we all cherish as Americans is that, you know, we can live our lives according to our own faith if, if we are people of faith or free from that if we're not people of faith. You know, that is such an extraordinary um, part of being a free people to not have another person's religious views forced on us. And, you know, it's one of the things that's always upset me about, um, you know, people trying to enforce their set of religious beliefs on other people. And, you know, for me as a Christian and as a person of faith, one of the things that I think is so beautiful about that faith, about my faith, about um, the God that, that I worship is the free will that we're given. Um, if God trusts us, if God had trusts women in particular as the gatekeepers of life, you know, and if you look at the Bible, it's, it's very clear that, you know, if you look at Exodus, uh, uh, I think it's chapter 21, verse uh, 22, um, you know, it, it talks about what happens, you know, if a pregnant woman is harmed and um, they lose the pregnancy. It, it's not the same as if the woman herself is harmed. You know, for, for a lot of people like me who are people of faith, um, you know, we are pro-choice because of our faith. Um, I recognize, though, that other people, that's not where their faith leads them. And, and I think that they should make their own decisions in their own life according to their faith. So let me ask you this question then, as a Christian woman, and, and I have asked this question of Senator Sherrod Brown as well, Democrats more and more these days are being painted as sort of a non-religious political group. And it seems as though Democrats are not very aggressive at shooting that down, which makes the, the situation seem even wider between that party and the Republican Party when it comes to religion. You know, I think that's an interesting concept. Um, you know, I'm, I'm certainly, you know, not a representative of the Democratic Party. I'm, I'm a voter like everyone else. Um, you know, I work for, you know, an interest organization, for an advocacy organization. And there are people in our ranks. And one of the things I love about our movement, you know, we have um, atheists and agnostics and Catholics and Jewish people, Muslims, uh, Christians, um, you know, people really across the spectrum, Hindis, Sikhs, all among the people who uh, work with, contribute to, volunteer 
um, for our organization and are involved in our movement. And I think that for me, however a person comes to their values, the values that say that a person should have that bodily autonomy, that people should have reproductive health care, that quality affordable child care is important, that, that there should not be an infant and maternal um, mortality crisis, particularly one that is so heinous in one community um, and, and not in another. You know, when we're talking about these, um, these barriers to health care that black people in our community in particular, but also other people of color experience, you know, however people come to those sets of values, I think, you know, that's, that's a personal thing. But when it comes to how we govern, how we take care of each other as a society, I think that's a policy and a governance issue. That's what elections are about. And, you know, when I look at candidates, I don't look necessarily to, you know, what is their religious faith? I look at what is it that are their values? What is it that they think makes a strong community? How do they think we as a society should treat each other? Um, and if, you know, that's part of their faith, great. If they're um, uh, an atheist, great. Um, you know, I respect all of those things. And, and I think it's just one of the most wonderful parts about being part of a free society. Talking with Kelly Copeland, Executive Director of Pro-Choice Ohio. Anything else you'd like to add? You know, I think the one thing I would want to add, we have a lot of plans, um, you know, for, for what could happen. There are certainly um, people like Governor DeWine and others who are seem intent on making abortion illegal. Um, we think that that will be deeply harmful and painful for people. What I want people to understand and to know is that if you had an abortion or if you need an abortion or someone you love has had or needs an abortion, the one thing that we don't have a plan for is to surrender to abandon this cause, we will fight for as long as it takes and every way that we need to, to make sure that reproductive freedom is restored for everyone without shame or stigma so that people can get the care that they need and have the resources they need to decide when and if to become a parent. That's something that we're never going to stop fighting for. Kelly, if people want more information about your organization, where do they find it on the web? We're at ProChoiceOhio.org. You can find us on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, all the places. Um, just search for ProChoiceOhio.org. Great. Kelly Copeland, again, Executive Director. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you so much. It's, it's a real pleasure. And uh, thank you to members of the audience for listening. Your, your time is valuable and I do appreciate it. Hello, I'm Todd Markowitz, Vice President and General Manager of Radio Ohio, which owns 97.1 The Fan. We're an equal opportunity employer dedicated to providing broad outreach efforts regarding job vacancies within our company. We seek the help of local organizations in referring qualified applicants. Organizations that wish to receive our vacancy information should send their request to the attention of Human Resources, Radio Ohio, 
770 Twin Rivers Drive, Columbus, 43215. If you'd like to view our current job openings, please visit our website at 971thefan.com, and thanks for listening. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Tom and Levi. Tom is the smartest man I know. He's been a professor at two major universities, been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, he told me that he was having um, problems in his classes. I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. And he was telling them that he was doing it as a favor to them. But I think in reality, he just wanted to get out of there. Um, I was really starting to worry because I saw something was wrong. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives. But he was there beside me. And my love for him was just immense. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Tracy Townsend from her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. Thank you so much for joining us here on Face the State. I'm Tracy Townsend. We are closely watching the fallout from the widespread intentional AEP outages. AEP cut power to 120,000 customers across the state of Ohio. Company leaders say they had to do this because storms knocked down power lines. Then the extreme heat moved in, putting a strain on the power grids. The Ohio Consumers Council is calling for the Public Utilities Commission of Ohio to investigate AEP's actions. The PUCO says it will do an after-action review on this case. We ask the chairperson what that means. We'll sit down, um, understand hopefully a little more of the technical end of things, and um, make decisions uh, as you know a regulator as to what, if anything, needs to be done in the future to avoid uh, situations like this. We also asked whether any fines or penalties might come out of this review, but she said it would be premature to say so at this time. Customers do want to know why they were removed from the grid and why they weren't given a heads up. Chief investigative reporter Bennett Haverly took those questions right to AEP. What message would you have to the people out there who are frustrated, who are in the dark, who are dealing with the heat? We're sorry. I mean, that's one thing. We're sorry. This is not something, the very last thing that we want to do is outage a customer. The very last thing we want to do. Um, we, from an emergency standpoint, we're doing this to protect the integrity of the entire grid. 
John Williams with AEP Ohio said it was critical that the power company forcibly remove thousands of customers from the electrical grid to prevent further damage and longer outages. The explanation we were given, that storms damaged high-voltage transmission lines. As repair work was being done on those, the high-intense heat we've experienced was creating overloads, putting stress on the system, prompting the power company to purposely cut off electricity to thousands. There was no indication of the fact when you guys took people off service, there was no heads up that that was going to happen. There wasn't the ability to have a heads up. This was an emergency. So as as other transmission lines picked up the load, added the load, what happens is the, the load shedding that had to occur to support those other transmission lines that are overloading, they had to be brought down, and it's an automatic um, grid protection Um, grid-enabled situation. The state's Public Utility Commission says the call to remove customers from power came from above AEP, from the grid manager, PJM, which acts like an air traffic controller for the grid, covering 13 states, including Ohio. They're kind of the air traffic controller of, um, of our electric grid, and so it was them, PJM, that ordered AEP Ohio um, to conduct these outages to protect the grid. An AEP spokesman says it was the company's decision, but likely that they would have been directed by PJM to act had they done nothing. We do have this under control, and we're going to solve this problem, and we'll solve it here in the next few days. And again, that was Bennett Haverly reporting. Democrats are calling for accountability over these planned outages. And the Franklin County House Democrats sent a letter to the president of AEP saying they want answers about how they decided whose power got cut and why the outages lasted so long. An Ohio lawmaker decided to take action when she learned her constituents were struggling without power. Reporter Kevin Landers followed her as she tried to provide relief to those who were too fragile to leave their homes. We took everything from Target. State Representative Latina Humphrey of Columbus used her power. Lord Jesus, it's so hot. To help her constituents suffering without power. On the hottest day of the year. This is unacceptable. Uh, Like I said, parts of the South Side is filled with senior citizens who are bedridden, who need oxygen, who need help, and have not had power. And this is not helpful during a heat wave. We have heat waves every summer. We have summer storms every summer. And so we need to be prepared for things like these and, and, and making sure that we're investing in, you know, the power grid or whatever the case may be, because this happens every year. And so this this is not going to work. AEP shut off power without notice to customers in portions of the city she represents. You need to call people, send text messages like they do when they want us to pay our bill. They can do that to say, hey, it's going to be an intentional power outage at 10 p.m. Get to safety. That's the responsible thing to do. At this senior living center off Livingston Avenue, Representative Humphrey and her crew provided more water to a building with no backup power supply in a building full of the medically fragile. How hot is it inside? It's hot. It's very hot. It's, uh, yes, it's too hot for anybody to stay in there. Inside the Livingston Senior Apartments, its phone system isn't working, so they're going door to door to see if residents need help. If they're not answering the door, then uh, we're talking to the other residents. Hey, have you seen so-and-so? And checking on them. So are you allowed to go in their rooms if they're not answering? 
we don't have a key, so we don't have access to go into their homes. As the sun bakes the air outside, those baking inside have a message for those trying to turn the power back on. Please do everything that you can to hurry. So what happens next? The Public Utility Commission tells 10TV it plans to conduct an after-event review with AEP and PGM, the energy regulator, to make sure outages like this don't happen again. Kevin Landers, 10TV News. That's again Tracy Townsend and Kevin Landers, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation to the fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.